Coffee with Tony. I'm your host, Anthony Atamanik, and we're back for another episode. Um, we're talking with my good friend, uh, my wife's uh, old dear friend, Jess McIntosh. Uh, Jess is uh, everywhere. You'd know her as the co-host of Signal Boost with Zerlina Maxwell on Sirius XM. Um, you'd also know her from every goddamn Democratic debate coverage on CNN. She was there uh, dropping truth left and right. And um, she also uh, was the deputy de- communications director of Emily List. She, Emily's List. She worked for Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign as a director of communications outreach. She got my ass in there to entertain and be fun for them. Uh, and to try to warn them of the, uh, the uh, upcoming doom to no avail. Um, and uh, yeah, and she's also just a good friend. Uh, my wife, uh, Flossie, and Jess went to high school together. Um, and she's, as Zerlina, I mean, I have to say, I can't think of two more intelligent people who synthesize information um, and can put it and express it in an accessible way to, uh, for other people to take it in. And Jess is like a library of information, but also I, just watching her talk and process things, uh, uh, data points, info, and especially in the political sphere and how to, I feel like express what's happening correctly uh, in a way that's accessible and right, uh, that's Jess. And um, and Jess and Zelina together, it's like, you know, the dynamic duo uh, from Super Friends, you know? Like, form of a policy idea. Form of uh, accessibility uh, to underrepresented uh, black voices in media. <laughs> it's true. Um, I don't know. Am I going to catch shit for that? I was just trying to be funny. Um, so anyway, the other great thing I love is that both Jess and Zerlina, uh, have been the easiest podcasts I've done. We just talk and then I just put the hour up. Uh, so there's something great when you talk with professionals because, uh, or professional commentators, I should say, because they know how to just whip through it. Um, so we covered all kinds of things. Uh, obviously, we talked, I think, last week. So maybe some of this stuff is dated. I never really know. We try to keep it evergreen. Um, we start uh, by catching up uh, with my previous podcast guest, Sarah Cooper, uh, and then move on to a, a litany of different topics. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jess McIntosh. I am really excited that you uh, are joining me, Jess McIntosh, who is, I mean, she's. this is an official CNN employee. First off, <laughs> this is official. True. Okay. Uh, also co-host of signal boost with, you might remember my guest from two episodes ago, <laughs> Zerlina Maxwell. <laughs> Since then we've had Sarah Cooper, you know, we had the Trump Sarah Cooper. I listened. She's amazing. Isn't she great? But listening to the two of you talk about it was just free. Cause free. I've known you in real life for a long time, and I've worried about your sanity for about as long as you've been doing this. Yeah. Because you're just too deep in the dude's brain. Yeah. And when I was interviewing Sarah Cooper for Signal Boost, I don't know, like a month ago, uh, 
she said something that sounded so much like you yeah about understanding him and about spending all that time with him that i was like oh no she's gonna do the anthony thing yes. she's gonna she's gonna lose it lose just your a little mind. Bit. well and, we and, talk about that and also it's interesting to see how uh it makes sense that she took off with her insight and we both I will say, I think it's validating also, like we see it the same way, right? Yeah. And so then the other thing that's just true, and this is a great, it's a great thing for it to happen in this moment in what's happening in the country, right? Right. Which is like, here's a perfect example of, I carried that ball as far as I could. And the truth is, is that we needed a woman of color to actually take the ball over the goal line. And yeah. I am perfectly fine like, I'm not the aggrieved white man who's like, my Trump job's been taken, you know? <laughs> but you know you know what I mean? So yeah. it's a perfect metaphor for what's happening, too, to sort of talk with her and go, yeah, you're the one who's got to do this now. And also, I don't have to do it unless you, like, want me to do a video with you or something. I now feel totally relieved to just let you deal with this pressure. I don't know. I, yeah, I was waiting for you to say relief. Like, you were so excited to stop doing this in 2016. Yeah. That was a very long time ago. That was over 40 years ago. Yes, it was 40, it was 40 years in Trump years. In Trump was, years, yeah. it was 40 years. Um, yes. well, most of those happened in March, most of the years. Yes. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you are home. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you've been home for as long as I've been home. Do mm -hmm. you go, yeah. but, but now do you go anywhere ever? Or like, are you doing all your reporting from home? I'm doing all my reporting from home. Okay. I, I, this is the Signal Boost broadcast studio. Yes. I only recently got my closet back because that, it turns out, is a great place to record audio. Of course, um, yes. And I didn't need my clothes, so <laughs> it was okay to let that go. I do leave the house every now and then. We really did shut the doors for like a few weeks. Yes. But I went to the protests. Like, yes. I just couldn't not do that. I and, did too. And, and and I survived, and it was nice to be among people yeah. in a a relatively controlled outside setting. Everyone was wearing masks. Everyone was being good, and that sort of I'm I'm venturing into the world a little bit more. New York City is a lot less scary than it was a couple months ago. So like yes. I have distance drinks with my mother in her courtyard a couple of times. Oh, that's and, nice. You know, yeah, it's very nice. I mean, the, the, like, the, the, oh, go on. Sorry, sorry. I'm not going to the bars. <laughs> no. Well, this is what I was going to say is that um, we, I feel like I live in like an eight bit video game from like 1989 because there's only like 12 blocks that I go. Like I don't go. My laundry lady the other day, who's a real character and she's like, Oh boy, these fucking people. And I was like, what's happening? Sounds like my UPS driver. <laughs> and she, maybe she is, is she a woman with severe rosacea who smokes three packs a day? <laughs> No, no, mine's a, a gentleman in his probably mid fifties, but it sounds just identical. Same thing. <laughs> you, you watch out. Yeah, and she's like, she they've been drinking. They're drinking on the sidewalks. They're drinking. I gotta walk in a goddamn street. And I was like, really? That's happening? She's like, yeah, just down on Steinway. And so I'm so like, I mean, Flossie and I have truly like hold up. I have redone the porch put all kinds of barrier plants to stop the neighbors from talking to me. Um, you know, I do this basically to occupy my time, but mm -hmm. I venture by biking. So I've cycled to Manhattan. 
I went to a protest in Manhattan, went to a protest in Queens. I've cycled to Brooklyn as far as Williamsburg before I've sort of turned around because wow. it's such a long, because also there's sort of a piss distance, which is like oh, yeah, how yeah, yeah. far before I have to pee, I can't use I don't think we're talking nearly enough about that. Yes. Like that is, that is the first question that I have to ask myself when I leave. And my, my distance drinks with my mother, while lovely, are actually intensely physically uncomfortable. <laughs> because like, we don't want, we, we are a small bladdered people the Macintoshes yes. and like we don't want to leave after 45 minutes but I don't go to drinks without needing a break and you can't do that I can't go pee in her bathroom and I'm not going to use the public one in the building god no so then we go home and I'm just like violently please don't drive over any speed bumps please just get home as slowly and deliberately as possible and like that this is a big part of going out now is like how are we going to handle peeing yes and i don't think the society has have addressed that no i mean you call it the pee distance the 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 duty uh the duty demarcation whatever you want to call it um when i went because i had a moment where i went into manhattan because i wanted to see lower manhattan and what mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't know about New York, and I think we could maybe talk a little bit about this also in relationship to what's going on and the impending economic like disaster that we have not felt yeah. yet. I call it the sonic, it's the sonic money boom, which oh, is yeah. that much like a Mach 3, everything's already taken off, but we haven't heard the sound yet, right? And yeah. I mean, did I really need to explain that metaphor? Um, <laughs> this is something I've learned about doing the podcast is when I edit it is how much I fucking talk. So, um, but everything's boarded up. I would say a yeah. quarter of everything is boarded up and not just from protests, right? Like no, that I go, I go half. It, when I walk from Red Hook to Carroll Gardens, half of Court Street is boarded up at this point. Red Hook just lost our one grocery store mm. and two of the like four major restaurants on our main drag, yes. like just today. Wow. And that is as the city is supposed to be opening up. Yeah. So I uh, no, I don't think that we have we have seen what is I mean, this real the lack logic. of plan. Like well, this idea that we could somehow yeah. have a good economy in a pandemic is insane. Yes. You fix the economy by fixing the pandemic. Right. Right. <laughs> so that's it. That's the whole economic plan right there. Let's not have a couple million people die. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. But, but, but wait, here's what's so crazy to me. Cause I said this on my live show and I really firmly believe this. And you know, I have that prognosticator thing where, yeah, you do. um, we, this was months ago. I remember when Trump first dropped the reopening thing, it was, uh, one of the pressers, um, maybe it wasn't a Rose Garden one. It might've been a Rose Garden one, but he dropped reopening what? Like March 21st oh, or something, right? Yeah. It was like 15. It was, it was just after they announced shutdowns. He said, we're going to reopen. Right. Yep. And I said at the time I go, I am telling you within a week or two governors and then the media are all going to fall in line. And he, and I would say it was the last great yeah. Trump hypnosis because he's lost his mojo since then. Uh, now, yeah. now, I don't know, and we'll get into his whether his mojo's really gone or not, but this is the true last great Trump hypnosis. Why did we all buy into and then feel the need to reopen? Why did Governor Cuomo, including Cuomo, oh, Democrats yeah. and Republicans, why did everyone do this? It, it, isn't everyone accountable that we can't just point at Trump and go, he cost us lives, that it's really every single person in orbit who reinforced this idea that we could anyway safely reopen? 
I, I would like to point out that those decisions are largely made by people who hold executive office. And executive office is the one that we have not been able to crack in terms of diversifying the occupants. Those are all white dudes. Mm. There were actually women governors. Like yes. you can look at Michigan. Yes. She took it. Like she shut it down. She said you could not go to your vacation homes. Yes. They formed the Capitol with guns. I'm not being hyperbolic, yep. that happened. Yep. And she stood her ground. In in Oregon, Kate Brown, who is like the unsung progressive hero of the country, as far as I'm concerned, locked it down way early. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, London Bree in, in San Francisco was the first mayor yes. to say, do gotta shut this down. There were black women mayors, Keisha Lance Bottoms in Atlanta. Like there were people who made the right decision here. I'm not saying 100% of them were women. Right. And a, a, a big chunk of them were black women who are very rare in executive office. Right. But where we see that we can get non-traditional, non-white dude candidates in executive seats, we actually do see a greater attention paid to experts. Yes. In, across Fields. It works in pandemics. It works in abortion rights. It works in climate change. Like it's just a good thing to have. It's so, so fascinating that 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 insight right there uh, of yes, absolutely living under the god, uh, living under in New York and watching the Cuomo stuff. It's true that my point of view, because I would see that what's her name, Michter, right? Is it Michter or Whitmer? Gretchen Whitmer. Whitmer, but they called her like Hitler. How did they do the? Oh, yeah, they called her all kinds. They, of yeah, stuff. but they had one that was very like I was like, I was like, uh, uh, remember being like, oh my god, I can't believe they're comparing her to Hitler, and I don't remember how they did the wordplay, but I was also like, very inventive wordplay. Um, <laughs> you got to give it to them with that. Um, but you, so it is so interesting to to that I as a white male in a former executive position did not even think about that, that that's really true. That, that, that this is the crisis that we're seeing that is revealing itself in multiple ways. And without blowing up some people's personal spots in terms of my orbit, it is interesting to see my white male friends and to yeah. see the diversity of rejection of what's happening. And yeah, sure. and the vitriol and the surprising points of view that sometimes shock me because I listen, I, I know one. I mean, I'm married to Flossie on a daily basis. She's like, you what the fuck are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. Why are you saying this? And she's like, you have to understand your inherent privilege in this place. And I'm like, you oh. married a privilege check. I married a privilege like, check. You, you actually don't, you don't need to check your own privilege. Like I you, don't. You can't read an external privilege check. You're all good. It's just going to happen automatically. It's now like a through. Chrome app. It's my, <laughs> I, my wife is a Chrome app. I'm sure she'll love that. Um, so, but it is true. And it's, you know, uh, being with Flossie has obviously uh, hyper accelerated my uh, evolution. I would also say teaching improv hyper accelerated my evolution. There's a lot of, exposures that I had in the world that uh, changed me. And so I can identify with the panicked rejection of things, because if you've been in first class your whole life and someone says, Hey, you might just have to sit in business, not even coach. You might right. have to just sit in business. And everyone's like, no, absolutely not. Right. I, not that I, I sympathize with it. I understand it, but it blows my mind at this stage of the game to hear it from people. And so um, I guess the, the thing I have is like, is this tantrum 
that we're watching happen, it's deeper than Trump, right? This is, oh, yeah. this is a, a holistic tantrum in both parties that's going yeah, on. Yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, Trump was the, like, spit up of the tantrum. Like, Trump, like, this tantrum created Trump, or or he was the perfect man to match the moment. But, like, the tantrum that we're seeing is the death throes of white male supremacy. Like, I don't know how long the death throes last. I'm not saying that, like, next year we're going to usher in a matriarchal, you know, period of divinity. Yeah. But, like... This is ending. We are about to be a, a, a country that has a, a minority of white people in it. Right. We've actually invented a ridiculous word for it. We say majority minority, like we say right. this in politics, majority minority districts. So that just means that white people are a minority. But we're so invested in this idea that we can't ever be a minority that we've invented this nonsense word. Right. Like just say white minority district. That's, right. It's a minority white district. Yeah. What the hell is majority minority? Anyway, yes. we're about to be a majority minority country. And they know that. Yes. So they're, they're fighting with everything that they have for the only structure that has ever been, has ever worked for them. Like this is, they built it, they need it. And, and of course they're going to try to hang on to it. So does Biden uh, know that? Does Biden know that? See, to me, I feel like Biden knows this at some level that Biden or his advisors. I know that he's brought on. What's her Karen? Um, she's from move on. Karine Jean-Pierre, Karine Jean-Pierre who I, I yeah, just love. I think she's so great. He, I think he just brought her on, right? Or she's only just got involved in the campaign. I think that there's so many and there's Simone Sanders. Mm-hmm. Is and and so, do you think that there's voices around him going beyond just the COVID thing, which I think was the initial impetus of you got to stay at home, that this right. mythology of Biden's hiding is such bullshit, that it he's is. being responsible, he's appearing all over the place, he's just not getting covered. One, he's not getting airtime. You would think he doesn't exist, and there are three cable news channels. You know how I get, and I won't try to you know hurt your job. But come on, the amount of airtime that is spent between either the Cuomo brothers, you know, loving each other and their mom or whoever, whatever conversation is happening. And I love all I like all these. I love Don Lemon. I've been to parties with Don Lemon. I think Don Lemon is one of the most fun, smart. And what he's done has been a transformation, I feel a total transformation is amazing. But yeah. why in God's name are the producers, and we all know the producers are different than the talent, and not even the producers, but whoever we know above the producers, who is going to punch them in the nose and say, you need to start being fair to this campaign and 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 allowing our anchors and people covering it to cover Biden fairly because it's not being done. I see... Uh, uh, 11th hour, uh, what's his name on M- uh, MSNBC? Brian Williams. Brian saying, oh, well, everyone shudders the other day with Carville. Everyone shudders when Biden talks. And I'm like, wow, this is serious ableism, one. Serious ableism. No one's talking about his stutter and, no. and the impacts of aphasia in a stutter once you pass 70, especially if you're trying to mitigate it, which he's learned to mitigate it, Okay. I'm not an apologist for Biden. Uh, he's he was not my top guy. I you know, Warren, I was a Warren person, okay? Yeah. So, to me, where is that? When is it going to happen? It can't just be that Trump falls and then we just say, isn't there a strategy there and isn't part of the strategy that Biden knows 
better than anybody. I got to just stay out of the way. This is not my moment, actually. I'm running for president. This is not my moment. It is going to be my vice president's moment. And that's how we're running this campaign. I think, so the thing that makes me the most excited about Biden when I get, like, aside from the fact that, like, I genuinely believe, I want to sleep again at night. Mm -hmm. Like, I would be able to sleep with Biden as president. He wasn't my first or second or even third choice. Mm -hmm. But I I will sleep well with that man as president. I think that he has, you know, he he makes decent decisions and I like that he listens. Like, he's really messed up in, in the past. He's done really, but like, the Violence Against Women Act, which he authored, yes. was a response to criticism from feminists and black women specifically over the Anita Hill hearing. So like, dude does take it in yes. and, and come out with something better. And if what we're gonna have is an older white guy as our nominee, I want someone who, who gets that, yes. and he does. The thing that actually makes me excited about him is when he talks about his understanding that he's a transitional figure. Yes. Like if he really sees himself as a bridge to a new politics, which he understands does not look like him. Yes. Then that's really exciting. Like if we have a VP that is, you know, a, a, a dynamic black woman, he's already promised to put a black woman on the Supreme Court. If you can imagine who's in his cabinet, the unity uh, committee that he already put together with some some former Bernie folks with like yes. AOC and John Kerry splitting the climate initiative. I know, that's it's amazing. That's exactly what I wanna see. Yes. So if, if Joe Biden brings me a White House and a cabinet full of the people I wanna vote for president for the rest of my life because they're younger than I am. Yes. Um, yeah. I think that's just that's just freaking phenomenal. Well, this is what I'm going to say. The thing that, uh, you know, you're not supposed to say, but it gives me a thrill up my spine. Truly hearing you say it, because one, I think, you know, I love politics probably more than I love comedy, that I'm really a politophile, that I'm always orbiting and trying to, you know, get into the orgy somehow. And no one's letting me in. That. there's there's no we we orgy really really weirdly really it's not i see on the outside i'm like ooh, <laughs> it's a pundit orgy and i want to get in on it um but like i feel like everyone's looking at their phones the whole time i no know i know and then whenever i'm done no yes. one's actually listening. It's, ter- it's terrible urging. I know. Well, I know. But I feel like this is about to change. Because, listen, it's a trickle-down effect. Not to quote the, miser- the miserable man who set this all off, Ronald Reagan. But it is a trickle-down. It's going... This is the way it's going to affect industries. And how do you know it? You know it because corporations are getting on board with Black Lives Matter. Yes. That's all you need to know. And here's the thing. I'm a cynic. I don't think that McDonald's cares. I don't think that they care. Maybe they do. I don't care if they care. I don't care if they care. I don't exactly. care where your heart is if your vote is in the right place. I don't exactly. care. What, what, that's why this like, what's in your heart conversation yeah. always drives me up the wall. One, that doesn't exist. That's not real. There is no essential nugget of self-hurt or whatever mm. that you can either betray or be true to. You are you are only what you say and what you do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the purity test though, isn't it? And that is the weird, strange... Um, uh, vestigial appendix of the Bernie movement and the irony to me because I have on good authority from someone I know well about Bernie's real wholehearted endorsement of Biden and the fact that Bernie Sanders really is not only behind Biden but does see him also as a transformative figure. This is not, you know, and listen, this isn't 2016. This isn't the bitterness, I think, that existed there. This isn't the sense of robbery Um, Well, you don't have misogyny to deal with. And the undermining and the misogyny and the hatred of women, right? So that's gone, right? 
So now, of course, Bernie's, you know, a little okay with it. And then everyone rolls along. And then what you do is you see, whoops, what you do is you see the separation of those who were really in the ideological camp who see the opportunity for something to get done and those who are the snake oil salespeople of yeah. a podcast and internet orbit that just simply wanted to sow divisiveness on the left, quite frankly, in my view, are part of a psyops campaign, whether they know it or not. They are participating in drowning the United States in whataboutisms and what's in your heart and you're not pure enough. And the worst thing that happened is the robbery or the attempted robbery of the Black Lives Matter movement by young white radicals who want to return it back to class and economics at, at a time that you should be shutting up, putting your body on the line in the way you can help and stop yeah. trying to push your agenda. It is actually the easiest time in the world to be an ally. Like it is so yeah. easy. Your mandate is so clear. Your mandate is to amplify black voices. Yeah. Your mandate is to shut up and listen and retweet the black people in your networks and donate to their causes and shop at their businesses and play their movies and appreciate their art and share that with your networks. Like that's that's it. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Like it is it is about and this is this is but this is so anathema to whiteness. It is about centering people other than yourself. Mm -hmm. Like I, the, the thing that made me, I didn't realize that I was going to be spending this much of quarantine, like talking to white people about white people, but I guess it makes sense. And like, yeah, this is the thing I can do a thing with. Like, this is actually not, it is not, I'm not a Black Lives Matter leader. I am a, a devout follower and I have been forever, but like, this is not my moment to like right. be on CNN talking about this, you know, what, what's happening in the country. It is my moment to talk to the white people I know and the white people who follow me. And like, I have a standing offer for uh, many of my black friends that if they have white people who are coming to them with those weird, like, what do I do right now? And I'm so sorry. And should I Venmo you money? And like, whatever it is we're all doing, yeah. they can give those people my phone number. Yes. I will work with you. Yes. I will find out where you live and what's wrong in your community. I will give you an anti-racist reading list. We will work on this together. Like, so that's actually a thing I can do right now. Right, <laughs> so I've been, right. I've been doing it, but it's so easy. Yes. Just consume black media and support black yeah. causes. And a lot of that's know, easy for me already because that's I already pr primarily consume black media. But reading Flossie's built the reading list because I'm also just a lazy reader. I think the last book I read was the book I wrote, and I didn't even enjoy it that much. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I enjoyed that greatly. I love that. <laughs> no, I, but I mean, it's terrible in that sense that, you know what, that this, if there was anything that hit me was in that moment when I went, wow, I really have not read beyond articles. I have not read a book like yeah. cover to cover in a while. Well, and it embarrassed can I, me. Can I say the thing that like changed me the most as a white, as a white person? Yes. I was I was really embarrassed because you know I'm uh, public school education. Uh, my history just sucks. Oh, yeah. Like I don't I don't know anything. And we were all making fun of Michelle Bachman for some reason or another because she confused Concord and Plymouth. And I'm yes. sitting there like a, a professional who is you know writing the snarky tweet, being like, I don't know these things. I could all like this is all so crap. So I decided I was going to read, uh, I was going to spend a year reading just history. Mm -hmm. I was just going to find like the best biographies, the best like slices of American history. 
So immediately, like two months in, I'm like, I'm reading only white dudes about white dudes. Mm. And this is before I think this way all the time. Yep. What comes next is why I think this way all the time. So I decided that I was going to spend the year reading um, history, but the subject and the author couldn't both be white men. So People's History of the United States, Howard's in, totally fine. Written yep. by a white dude, definitely doesn't center white dudes. It turns out that is the only example of a white guy mm -hmm. writing history about non-white people that I could find. Yes. So I spent the rest of the year reading black and brown people and women on American history. Yes. And I was not the same person after that. Yes. Like not at all, not even close. Yeah, of course. It was like, kind of like a religious conversion. Like it was, it was like, oh, now I see things in a completely different way. So yeah, you should, you should, the book lists do matter if you're actually reading the books. I know we can like get all derisive about like no, anti-racist books. No, no. Like, well, I'm yeah. reading the, I mean, I'm reading the uh, how to be anti-racist uh, yeah, right now. Uh, and only, and it's funny because I, gra I was looking at a few and I gravitated to the foreword about his self-consciousness in his speech uh, class in high school and looking back at it and being like, I can't believe the things I said and the sort of difference between his, his pride in the moment and his sort of shame looking, not shame, but sort of like, I guess just sort of, Oh God, what was I saying? And for that, just that insecurity I connected with. And I went, Oh yeah. Okay. I'll read this one first because he's insecure. Okay. I get that. You know, that's how I pick books. I mean, I really do pick things based on sort of, I'm a narcissist. So I pick them based on, do I identify with the identify author? With... I really... well, that's another big white guy problem is that you only, you, all of media is geared towards you. Yes. So you it's my asking, program. Do I identify with this person? You're given every hero for every story. Exactly. For the, you know, first 20 years of your life, you never have to. We identified with men all the time. We had to, yes. like, unless we wanted to, and no one wanted to be the girlfriend. No one wanted to be the, you know, the princess in Voltron. No, no. one wanted that. No. Like, yes. <laughs> so we've been identifying with people who aren't, who don't look like us our whole lives and you guys just don't have to. Well, that's improv. It's so interesting. You say this too, in terms of improv, because when I would teach, what I would notice is that when women wanted to take on a, uh, um, a character and actually be a character, right? Like they wanted to actually have some agency in the scene. They would become, they would play a man because so if they played a woman in the scene immediate, if they had a male scene partner, I should say, which, you know, that was a, a lot of it at the beginning of teaching the men would always make them the girlfriend, the wife, the mother, or it would, or it would descend into, I love you, or it would descend into some mock sexual assault scene, or it would uh, have just been fresh from, sort of sex, right? And so yeah. I watched that for 10 years unfold. And I, you know, it was probably like, when I started to pay attention, you know, you'd be teaching, you go, okay, stop, stop, stop. And you'd be like, why? Why does she have to be your lover? She just said she works at Costco. Why? You know, and you'd just be like, why, why? And then it took another five years of doing that to go, wow, this is not just something in improv. This is everywhere. Oh. This assignment's insane. and to get back to the books for a second, I find I always end up reading fiction by black authors, historical fiction. So like middle passage by Charles Johnson and then yeah. a mercy. If no, if people haven't read a mercy, which is one of Toni Morrison's later books, I think it's, like I actually haven't read it. A mercy to me because it's clearly incredibly well-researched and it's the story of 16th century Maryland. Um, when it's St. Mary's land, I think, or something like that, or, I don't know what it was, St. Mary's Land, maybe. 
something <laughs> Mary's land, Queen Mary's land, Queen Mary's land, I think. Um, and that's where Mary, Maryland comes from. And it's the story of slavery, like, you know, a hundred years before we're even debating the nature of the country. Right. And so it gives you just one, the depth of the roots of slavery in the United States. It is such a powerful book. I remember reading it on the subway. This is years ago. I was reading on the subway and I just happened to be getting to the end of it on the subway ride into teaching. And I read the last page and a half. And it's one of those books where like the last paragraph gets you. And oh, I no. literally oh, on no. the train went, oh, oh, I like started bawling, <laughs> crying involuntarily. <laughs> and people are looking at me. And I have to imagine, too, people are looking at this like white guy reading Toni Morrison's A <laughs> Mercy, crying, going, oh, what a performative asshole. What is this? Why is this guy doing this? But it was true. It's a powerful, powerful book. I think it's one of the most powerful. To me, it's, it is actually one of her more powerful books. Um, but so, uh, but getting into fiction, uh, nonfiction history is something that I will now get into. And you could maybe send, send me anything that you oh, I'll, have I'll, read. I'll send you. Um, but so again, back to sort of back to this thing to say, um, here's an issue I discuss a lot on the uh, uh, podcast I mean, on the live show, and it relates to this whole like industry because I want to go through some sort of things that I think are divisive and make me worried because I get worried on the left. I get worried on the left. And here's the things I worry about on the left. One, this podcast class of ex Bernie expatters who are snake oil salespeople who are they they never were in the righteous space they just wanted to build essentially a left wing version of the right wing system uh, that's mm-hmm. so toxic and that horseshoe theory is somewhat real and no one wants to admit it mm-hmm. um, and the second thing being that this chad chaz chud chope chopped on food network whatever the fuck is happening in seattle which is an ignoring of the black lives matter movement and should not be at all seen as a bellwether of what's happening in this country. And uh, I guess the more moderate part of me goes, how do we make sure not to overbite, overchomp? Because um, Black Lives Matter isn't doing this. I want to really separate this. Black Lives Matter is acting totally in a, a, a sense of grabbing at the moment and trying to make policy happen. How do we basically keep over like overly active hyper dramatic young white people from fucking this up how do we do i mean i i don't know that you can uh i i think i think you gotta you gotta concentrate on the expansion of the electorate like we don't know who we need anymore like Mm. polls are all bullshit i've never believed in the bernie or bust people i think those were people we were never going to have to begin with yes like like i've just i i don't Absolutely. i don't care about them we're not going to get them if you are willing to say that you know it's it's bernie or you'd rather have trump then you were never our voter right you were just a troll you're a troll you might even think that you would have voted for bernie but you probably wouldn't have yes. you would have stayed home because you actually don't give a shit. so uh i would i would just consider it a distraction i would put it away like here's what's actually happening in the country right now so the high watermark for elections is 2008 right which is sort of hilarious because it was a woman versus a black man yes and it, it caused the highest turnout ever and we we talk about it now like we'll never hit 2008 again and we forget why people were so excited mm. no one ever mentioned that that's different about that election 
Yes. Uh, so no, that it, was was, it was John McCain. It was all about McCain. It was, it was all John McCain. Fifty-five <laughs> percent of the country turns out to vote for president in 2008. That's our high water mark. In 2016, we're like 45-ish, which is a little low, but like you know, 45 to 50. That's that's generally where we are. Right. Since then, at like special elections are seeing 60 and 70 percent turnout. Uh huh. Yes. When they yeah. usually see nine or 10 percent turnout, we had the biggest. We had a presidential size midterm election yes. in 2018. Yes. So if 2020 grows like every single other election since Donald Trump took office. Mm -hmm. We can reasonably expect 70% turnout. Yes. We have no freaking idea what that means. Yes. And you have added a completely new system of voting because this year is a pandemic. And you have added unprecedented civil unrest and civic engagement. People are participating in mutual aid societies. People are being poll workers. People are volunteering in their communities at a rate that we don't usually see. Yes. So we don't know what any of that means. Right. So so I, I get that broad only to say those narrow arguments we used to have about the dirtbag left or the the guy in the diner in West Virginia who voted Obama and then went for Trump. Like those are those are just too small right now. Like yes. This thing is much bigger yes. than like which segments of white men might we get back because yeah. we don't need them. We don't need them. You're right. <laughs> It's, we've yeah. lost them and we don't need them well and that was proven in south carolina too right to me south carolina in the primary was one of the watermarks of the mythology that somehow we have the votes we have the votes we bernie and brings and drives people out in ways in youth that you uh, uh can't believe and wait till you see it and then it didn't happen and then the next sentence was those older black voters don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And the idea, the, the, the presumption, and, and by the way, I think that Bernie himself distanced himself from that, distanced himself from that thing. Well, he stepped in it in 2016 when he said that Hillary was only winning Southern Democratic states and those didn't really count. Yes. Yeah. Like he's already, he already got burned doing exactly so that. So he already and he knew. Campaign structure. So, he kept the ethos, obviously. Right. And here's the thing that to me, I was fighting this out on the tour uh, in, in the sense of saying, listen, I, I can't get behind, you know, I can't get behind a system that sets up um, unverified accusations. I can't get up the system that works to uh, actually undermine people's decision-making and promises a mythology that doesn't manifest when, like you right. said, there are so many people turning out in ways that we can't even comprehend or measure yet. Now, that being said, does there's two things. One, I went and voted for AOC as my rep, so I went and made sure to put the stake in MCC and that stupidity. Every time I would get a text from the MCC people, I would literally just write "fuck off, fuck you, leave me." I was just like, I was like, are you fucking kidding me with this bullshit? And by the way, I got on her mailing list like months ago. Oh yeah. Like the the stuff that she would send me is like, well, she was a Republican too, right? But she was a Republican just running in a. Democratic oh, yeah. primary, right? You know, New York, we have a long history of Republicans who just run as Democrats because we don't elect a lot of Republicans. That was a fun thing about what happened in, in the primaries this year. Oh, like, yes. It was terrible. Like, Ruben Diaz Sr. got his, you know, he, he got trounced yes. by a guy who's going to be the first openly gay black congressman <laughs> in Washington. He's like 32. 
Richie Suarez. Like, I mean, we're like we're toppling we're toppling stuff all over the place, yes. and it, it looks different depending on where you're at or what industry you're in. But like, it's this feels different. Let's talk Hillary for a moment and talk oh, sure. uh, Nancy Pelosi too, and talk about why is it that when things go a certain way, we need to still beat up and trash women. That when Angle lost, right? And Angle lost. And is it natural that Schumer and Pelosi would probably support their fellow congressmen who they were probably have a relationship with and had been established? That why the next days have to be like, fuck you, Nancy Pelosi. Look what yeah. happened. Why can't it be like, isn't this great? He won. He won. Uh, I mean, Angle lost. His opposition won. Okay. Isn't this like the difference between people in the political sphere who understand or just like it's like in acting too when people go well that person got that part and you would have been better and it's like it's that's fine it's fine everybody it's fine you know even if i believe yeah. that it's okay like that's how it works people go out for the audition one person gets it you're mostly auditioning against your friends. You know everyone in that room. It's the same in politics. It's the same thing. It's not as if, yes, people don't like each other. And of course, there's all kinds of interpret, just like there is in acting. But it's not to the degree that the peanut gallery does. And the other thing is Hillary Clinton was right about every fucking thing she said. Sure. Everything she said in the 2016 election has come true. And she is roundly mocked and derided in a way that I find offensive and I don't understand it. I don't get, I mean, I do get it, but how yeah. is it possible? So I want to know, what do you think in this moment? Cause this is a moment. This is a moment that's clearly, we see tons of different civic activity and different pillars of, of society sort of stepping up and, and, uh, and planting and planting their own, um, uh, base. What, what is the role for women in politics in this next cycle in terms of the inherent and seemingly more acceptable prejudice and bigotry, right? Because it's sort of acceptable across the board. It's, I mean, that's the, that's the backlash to us, to us taking leadership roles and the, the, the work we have to do is to keep taking them anyway. Um, and the good news, there is good news. The good news is women are now at this point more likely to win competitive seats mm. than men. Wow. That's not true for the executive office yet, although we don't really have a big enough data set to even tell you. Right. Like it's it, very few women actually run for those offices. But now we have this cadre of black mayors that we can look to. We have a, a handful of women governors and almost everybody in that role is exceptional. Yes. Like, they're exceptional. Yes. It's one of the only silver linings of this insane bar that women have to clear in order to, to be in public is that when they are, they are largely very good. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, so yes, there's more misogyny, but like, it's gonna, it's gonna change anyway. Right. Like it's, we're used to it. Right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like women are used to this. Like we've had to do, we've had to make less product progress with as much misogyny as we are facing today. Right. Well, I'd rather have more progress. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Okay. So a lesson you worked for the Clinton campaign as well as Zulina. I didn't get a chance. I didn't ask Zulina this question. What from, what would you say to the mm -hmm. current Biden campaign? What is the thing that you wish you guys had done that you didn't do, or maybe didn't do enough 
that you hope they do. Pandemic and everything notwithstanding, because it's a little hard. Obviously, it's different times. But it could be even something operative. It could be something internal. But just something that you're like, I wish this had been done. I wonder if that would have tipped it, the focus or whatever. I, I wish they could have trusted their their worst fears. I wish we could we should have done a better job entertaining our worst fears. Like it was really hard in 2016. I remember the day that we tried to say he's getting help from Russia. And 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 our campaign manager Robbie Mook went on air and and he was he was just laughed at. Yeah. Like yeah. that and then we all had to go back and say but no this is this is really happening. I I guess I guess we just keep campaigning and we just sort of kept campaigning and there were parts of the organization that were always focused on Russia and always focused on disinformation and but because it, it couldn't it didn't get out of the, the building it, it was never a strategy that could have been implemented so I, I think we all just kept going like this was a normal mm. election mm -hmm. um, and of course it wasn't so I, like what I need Joe Biden's staff to understand and I think they do is is that we have to win by an order of magnitude mm -hmm. to make up for the fact that we're being sabotaged. Yes. Like they have they have rigged the game. They are cheating right now. He is accepting foreign help right now. Yeah. They're suppressing votes right now. And they're trying to shut down the post office when we all need to vote by mail right now. Yes. Like on the macro and micro levels, they are actively trying to suppress our votes because they know there are more of us than there are of them. So we can't just win. Like we just we won last time. Right. Yeah, I know. We got more votes last time. More than three million so votes. Right. So we can't just win. You have to we have, win substantially. Blow it out. And that's terrifying. You want like, to know my prediction? American history. My prediction is Biden wins over 400 electoral votes. I, God, man, you got the last one, right? Let's. I, I, I'm actually totally with Carville last night in the sense of being confident and that confidence is OK to show too. to go. It's OK to go. They're winning. We and do have winning. a knee jerk, like Democrats are losing even when they're winning right. thing that is super demoralizing and very unhelpful. And you do yeah. see like pundits and reporters saying, you know, doing that, like, well, this is a flawed campaign and a flawed candidate and Democrats yeah. are like, well, by whose standard? Well, like, let we, me we tell you a story. A like I think I've told you this story, but I'll tell you this story. I was playing a video game called Daisy on the Xbox. It's a survival <laughs> game. <laughs> And you meet strangers, you know, it's it's in the game. And there was this team of four kids. And obviously, I'm a middle-aged man playing a teenager's video game. And so these four kids cornered me in a room and then killed or shot me and knocked me out. But then they resuscitated me when they realized I didn't have a lot of stuff on me without explaining the full game. It's a very realistic <laughs> game. It's a real, very realistic game about post-apocalyptic survival. And you can really tell someone's measure, like where they're at in the game based on what they have on them. So they, they basically handcuffed me and then woke me up and revived me and said, we're sorry that we, um, that we did this. Yeah. If you want to run with us, you can run with us, right? And over the course of our conversation, it became clear that they were uh, four uh, young black men ages 16 to 19. Okay. And they, two of them were Buffalo and two of them were friends somehow from camp or something, but they lived in other parts of the country. And in our conversation, 
uh, eventually they they said, what did I do? And I said, I'm a comedian. And I told them what I did. And then, of course, they're looking up clips and they're laughing and they're going, oh, my God, I can't believe you do Trump. Blah, blah. And so then I said to them, I go, I want to just do an informal snap poll. And this is like when the primary before the primaries, when the debates were happening. I said, I just want to know, who would you want? So this is when there's like 14, 20 people in the yeah, race. Yeah, yeah. Who would you want for president? Like you guys are young. Some of you can vote. Who would you want? Biden, 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 Biden. And I went, what? And I did. I went, what do you, why? I go, why Biden? I go, I'm a little surprised because he's like a septuagenarian, you know, old white man. And they all said he took the second seat to Obama. He was a deferential wingman to a capable black younger man. And that cannot be like he has already proven himself to be a rare sort of white dude. Yes, it is a rare sort, which goes back to that transitional figure. Like I actually see him playing this role, not just not just lip service. Like Lots of people say they're going to make half of their cabinet women and whatever. But Joe Biden has already shown that he's willing to cede the spotlight to someone who doesn't look like him. I think he would do it again. Absolutely. Like, I, I think he would. Here's what I wanted to say is that, and I don't know if anyone's made this point. They haven't. You can take it and say it on CNN. Everyone keeps saying he's FDR. He's FDR. He'd be the FDR, right? That's the thing. He's the FDR moment. He's LBJ. He's the good part of LBJ. Oh, he's the good LBJ. He's the good LBJ because think Son about it. All the- and shakes all the hands but doesn't poop in front of his staff yes, yes. <laughs> but he that's to me he rings more of lbj than of fdr one because of the potential willingness to walk away after one term right in addition yeah. uh the so the 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 um the things he would do would not be new deal, but they would be great society, right? We're in the, we need great society too. That's sort of what we need right, right now. No, we don't really need new. We need a combination of new deal too and, and, and great society too. But I think green new deal, the FDR is a co- AOC. AOC yeah. is the FDR and she's, she's coming. A new yes. <laughs> I mean, wait, Biden, Biden's going to see what he can get done in the time that he has. If yes. He's not afraid of giant things. The LBJ comparison is super apt. Thank like, you. I don't think LBJ, LBJ did not want to be president so that he could pass the Civil Rights Act. Like that was not. But once he was there, he wanted to do as much as he could. That's with what, he had. what I'm saying. Had was an opportunity for the Civil Rights Act. Right? Yes. So take AOC that and run with it. Say it. And then you could say it and you go, really, this wise guy who was always overlooked by all cable news. Just don't go to Brian Stetler. Go to Brian and go, hey, Brian, should have had Anthony on more. No, I'm kidding. I actually really like Brian. I, I think Brian. Brian's a sweetie. He's the- no, I honestly, I love Brian Stetler and I love his wife because in yes. quarantine and, and, you know, don't tell CNN. I watch them often as well. But New York One is like. Oh, my God. Everything. Like watching New York One yes. keeps me. Oh, in the yes, yes. And, like his wife is Jamie Stetler. And yes. so I just, I, 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 you know, and her trying to figure out how to do the traffic report when everyone's <laughs> staying home was like the only thing that kept me going through. <laughs> I miss it because I have Fios now. And no, you can't. We literally looked in when we moved. We were like, we can't have Fios. So I we know. Need to, we need New York one. I know. Well, you know, Pat I, like, I love Pat Tiernan. My entire life. Pat Tiernan, love- he did Ask Cat at UCB. He was Canadian. And yeah, it's when you, you meet someone. When you, oh, I tell you this about Pat Tiernan? No. Oh, just tell me. just that when you, when you do Ask Cat and you'd meet someone who you connected with, 
it was like the coolest. I mean, I'll tell you the best one is Gloria Steinem. Gloria Steinem came, did Ask Cat monologues. We sat down, ended up talking about our therapists for about 20, 30 minutes at the break. Then I escorted her back up on the stage. And then we finished that show. And she goes, Anthony, she goes, I love that so much. She goes, I'm just going to stay. I want to watch the second half. And she stayed. And it was like, I'm doing the second half. At one point, I like did a scene that was funny and you know, everyone like it was like was edited and I look and there's Steinem clapping like proud of me and then stayed after oh and was like God. she was like, Anthony, I you know, that was so wonderful. I love talking with and I was like, I can't believe this. And I'll tell you, she was eighty two, I think, at the time. And I wanted to sleep with her. I I won't oh. lie. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's um <laughs> That's objectification that she probably isn't consenting to, but I'm you gonna made cut her that happy. Out. And you, you maybe, maybe feel like you bought her the lobster and you get to do that. No, I yeah. introduced her at a thing last year, and she was so like, you're not supposed to think about how stunning Gloria Steinem is, but it's also you rare. Help it. You need an 82 year old woman who is like. That's what I'm new. saying. How do you? How do you not? I was like, I cannot hurt. Because here's the thing. It's not, it's that's what you talk about Helen Mirren, you know, but you, that's what you realize. It's about presence. Right. Yeah. And this is where it's about presence, like body and all that matter. It's presence. That is what's attractive about people. Right. If you have any depth and you're not some surface asshole, like most coffee with Tony listeners, we all know you're super. <laughs> I, mean, I think if you're talking about women, you're true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but so there's my <laughs> brag. I just bragged to you about, but go, oh, cause I watched that, um, that miniseries. Did you watch the American um, Miss America? I, I started to, and I loved it. Uh -oh. And then something happened to me where I stopped being able to consume anything but like the gentlest of content. So I have not, I have not finished Killing Eve. I have not finished Mrs. America, despite like those being two of my favorite things. I watched uh, a show where very queer people compete to make the prettiest and largest floral arrangements. Oh, my friend Natasha hosts that. My, oh, she's yes. in, what we do in the shadows. In the shadows. Oh, she's the okay. best. That's it. No stakes TV. I need entirely zero stakes. How about Hannibal? Like, Can you watch Hannibal? I, I, I was never a Hannibal watcher, but um, but no, I've stopped it. watching horror movies. I haven't seen a <gasps> single horror movie since I've been in here, and you know wow, how weird that is. Oh, that's very weird. And I are doing an entire Star Wars rewatch, but chronological. Oh, so we're, we started with episode one, and then we did the entirety of Clone Wars, and then we did two, three, and then Reb no, then Solo, then Rebels. Wow. And now we're on episode four, and we'll get Mandalorian in there before we get it. So we're going to. So the whole you're thing, doing everything. Start over at the beginning. Did you see Mark and Shadows, though? Did you see what? Mark as Tim the Vampire or what is it in Shadows? I, I still watch what we do in the Shadows. That is, that I can still it's do too that. too good. I mean, I write Matt Berry a lot and Mark and I were writing back and forth because we were trying to figure out how to pitch them a Tim the Vampire Sean episode. <laughs> Where I was like, even if you killed me, I'd go, I'd go for it. And he was like, no, um, you know, and, and, and mind you, this is like, this is like a fantasy of mine only because I need work. <laughs> like I desperately need work badly. Yeah. Oh, you've got it. You have five minutes, right? And what do you go live? 
What? Would you go live in five minutes? Oh no, no. I just have I just have a work thing in five. Minutes. Oh, okay, good. I was uh, like, it's... oh my god, I was like, I really fucked you over. Um, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's a so the, the, this is the one. So now Zerlina and I had this discussion. So now I want you both to come on the podcast yeah. at some point in the next. I love I love it so much. Um, every time I go on Signal Boost, we had the Brad the Parscale moment, which I kept yeah. quiet because I had been. I didn't want it. And then I, I don't know if you saw, but I tweeted at him after that failure in Tulsa. And I was like, Brad, I saw you at the fucking Red Hour Diner and you're a piece of shit and you're a fucking failure. I like completely finally <laughs> was like, I'm going to say what I wanted to say because I was too scared to do it when I saw you because you're a He's big Nazi. He's very tall and imposing. He's a frightening individual. Um <laughs> He's awful, but I want to say that I miss seeing you and I'm sorry. We always hit the week and we get to Saturday and we need to do one. But every Saturday we're like, I'm tired and I want to go to yeah. Betty and I don't. So we will do one of which they don't need to know what we're talking about. This, this week is, you know, pride themed. So that'll be fun. Ah, interesting. Okay. I'll do that. And then, um, so thank you for giving me the time. No, anytime. I appreciate I, I would, it. I would just, you know, talk to you even sometime. We could, we could even just like <laughs> yes. be friends. Wait a minute. You, know? you mean we could just be friends and not record it? We could just be friends. <laughs> I don't know how to do that anymore. Everything <laughs> no, I do, I broadcast my whole life from this fucking house. <laughs> it's true. I broadcast my whole life here. And you know what? I will broadcast how much fun it was to talk with Jess McIntosh and um, all the insights that we got to cut through in this episode. Thanks again for listening to Coffee with Tony. Um, and make sure to watch, I mean, listen to Signal Boost on SiriusXM with Justin Zerlino. You can catch her on CNN. Make sure you support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash Tony because that's what it's all about, is supporting this podcast. The Real Tony, five bucks gets you on the first level. Uh, or, you know, do the $10 or the $20 level. I don't know. Uh, go for it. You can also book me on cameo.com. Uh, cameo.com the real tony and you can watch coffee with tony live on twitch.tv slash shatty fatty every single weekday monday through friday starting at 12 30 p.m eastern time we have guests uh we have interviews live it's all live you can join the chat sub don't sub you can watch to the twitch totally for free you'll just have to watch some commercials but it's up to you but anyway i'm so grateful to my guest Jess McIntosh, say that three times. And I can't wait for Jess and Zerlina to come on together. So thank you so much and have a great day. Bye.